This is Calgary Today with Angela Cocott on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. I'm Angela Cocott. I'm starting to feel like an advice columnist, and I'm not. It's just the way some of the stories fell into place. Of course, in the last half hour, we were talking about medical cannabis. But prior to that, we were talking about relationships and how you should argue in a relationship, how you should make sure you take a breather. Now, if that relationship's going really well to the point where the two of you conceive a child, then this half hour is what you want to tune in for. It is uh, the author of The Gardener and the Carpenter, Alison Gopnik. Alison, it's Gopnik, isn't it? It is indeed. And Alison Gopnik is a professor of psychology at the University of California, Berkeley. She joins us today. Hello, Alison. Hi, glad to be with you. How many kids do you have, Alison? I have three children and three beautiful grandchildren. Okay, how are, how old are those kids of yours? My children are grown-ups. They're um, 38, I have to calculate, 38 and 37 and 28, and the grandchildren are three under five. They're four and three and one. That's the toughest question I'm going to ask you. I just wanted to make it clear, Allison, because sometimes people write books on parenting, and I get a bunch of texts saying, does that person even know about raising a child? So I wanted to make sure our listeners knew you know of what you talk of. And this is called The Gardener and the Carpenter, but it really explores the bigger issue of uh, the idea of parenting. When did we start even calling it parenting? Well, it's interesting because we so much take the word for granted, but it turns out that it only really appeared uh, around 1960, and the number of uses just absolutely exploded through the 70s. So people didn't even talk, use the verb parenting. Now, of course, people have talked about mothers and fathers and parents for forever, but the idea that there's this special thing called parenting is a very recent um as a very recent trend, something that really only happened at the end of the 20th century. And I think it's an unfortunate one, both because it doesn't reflect the science, which is what I study as a a scientist who studies children's development, Um, but I also don't think it is a very good everyday picture of our relationships with children. What do you, uh, Allison, are you still there? Yeah, well, all of a sudden it just got quiet. Sorry. Um, so, parenting, we, we're using it as a verb. Why is it a bad word? Well, I think sometimes when people talk about parenting, they just mean all the things that parents do. But more often, the idea is that parenting is a description of something that parents should do. And the picture, which I think of as the carpenter picture, is that. If you just get the right techniques, if you read the right books, if you get the right kind of expertise, you can shape your child into a particular kind of adult. And parenting is this process of shaping a child into a particular kind of adult the same way that carpentry is the process of shaping a piece of wood into a chair. Mm -hmm. Um, And that picture, I think, is very much not the right picture, not the right picture from a scientific evolutionary point of view and not really a healthy picture for parents and for children. So instead of talking about parenting, I'd rather talk about being a parent. Um, After all, we don't say that we're wifing our husbands or that we child our parents or even that we friend our friends, even on Facebook. That's not about doing something to somebody else to make them come out a particular way. It's about being in a particular kind of relationship. 
Well, if you're talking about the carpenter as in building, constructing this child, then is the gardener the opposite of that? I'm just throwing some seeds in the ground and hoping the kid turns out? Well, of course, as anybody who's a gardener knows, it's it's a lot more work than uh, just throwing the seeds in the ground. You haven't seen my garden. <laughs> Well, you do a lot of digging and you spend a lot of time up to your ears in manure, or at least that's what it feels like. But the reason for all that work isn't because you're going to end up with a particular plant that comes out exactly the way you want. Mm. It sounds like your garden is probably like mine, and I think most gardeners where um, almost always our plans are completely frustrated. We intend to have one thing happen and something completely different happens. But that's, of course, where all the wonderful things in a garden come come from, um, as well as the problems. And there's actually a deeper point about this. The deeper point is that what you do when you make a garden is to make an ecosystem. What you want to do is create enough rich soil and enough of a protected space so that many, many different kinds of flowers and grasses and plants can, uh, can thrive, and that the garden can thrive even when the weather changes and when the seasons vary the way they do in Calgary. One year you might have magnificent roses, another year the roses might wither, but you'll have uh, magnificent lilies. The idea is that by having a system that's very diverse and protecting a very diverse system, even though that means you can't predict how any individual thing is going to turn out, um, you have a system that's much more resilient in the face of change. Great and metaphor. And what I argue yeah. in, this, okay. in this book is that the science, especially evolution, suggests that that's what childhood is all about, too. So one of the great puzzles from a scientific perspective about children is that we human beings have a much longer childhood than any other species. Um, our babies are dependent on us until, even in hunter-gatherer cultures, until they're 15. Chimp babies um, can take care of themselves by the time they're seven. Why would that be? Why do we invest so much time and energy into children? And the answer seems to be that across many different kinds of animals, a long species goes with this ability to be flexible, to change, to learn, to alter in different circumstances. So the idea is that if you have this protected period early on, then you can invent new things. You can have variability. You can have uh, creatures who come out in all sorts of different ways instead of just one way. I love the metaphor. Uh, it is cool to think of the, the carpenter building something, a, a structure, and they've got plans, and this is how it's going to turn out compared to that gardener who you never know what's going to happen from one season to the next. So then let's let's get back into uh, um, layman's terms, and let's talk about kids and parents, because how do I make sure? Wh- what does the carpenter parent look like then? Well, I think part of what's happened is that for most of human history, um, the way that we learned how to take care of children was by taking care of children ourselves. So for most of human history, we were taking care of our younger siblings or younger cousins, and we had lots of different older people around us, aunts and uncles as well as and grandmothers and grandfathers. Um, so we'd learned how to take care of children by doing it. Mm-hmm. And what happened at the end of the 20th century was that you had the first generation of, of parents, what with smaller families and people having children later, um, where you'd have someone who was 40 years old who had a baby who'd never taken care of a baby before. And I think, especially for those parents, uh, the Carpenter model is is very appealing because it suggests that there's something you can do to solve the problem. 
And then on top of that, there's more and more emphasis on having children excel particularly uh, academically as a route to success. So there's more and more pressure both on parents and on teachers to make children come out a particular way and in particular make my child come out Mm. better than all those other children. Um, And I think those pressures, um, social pressures, have led to this kind of carpentry picture that if only I do the right things, I can get the child who goes to Harvard. That's what I've built. I've built the, the child who has succeeded. Exactly. And then I think the consequence of that is that um, for all when, as in is inevitably happens, children don't come out the way that you expect them to. They do something completely different. Um, there's a lot of unnecessary tension and anxiety, both for parents and children, um, because that's just not a, not a realistic and I think not even a, not even a desirable picture of what relationships between parents and children or between teachers and children should really be about. Well, then let's take a break and find out how we can be more gardeners with our children. Alison Gopnik is my guest. She is a professor of psychology at the University of California, Berkeley. Her book is called The Gardener and the Carpenter, what the new science of child development tells us about the relationship between parents and children. I'm Angela Cocott. You're listening to Calgary Today on News Talk 770. We're back with Allison after this. The book is called The Gardener and the Carpenter. The author is Alison Gopnik, and she is my guest this half hour. She's a professor of psychology at the University of California, Berkeley. And Alison, before the break, you were talking about this metaphor of the carpenter and trying to construct what you expect to be the end product. Someone even texted me and just said, you know what, we don't build chairs, more like houses and other buildings, which is very complicated. Bottom line, life is complicated, whatever path you take. So Phil is taking your metaphor and saying, hey, either or, it's still complicated. (laughs) However, let's go with your gardener because I want to understand what that means to be a parent who is more of a gardener to their children. Hmm. Well, I think intuitively most of us have a sense of what you do as a parent and one thing that we it's very strange that we may not quite realize is so strange until we think about it is that we unconditionally commit to this particular child even though we have no idea what that child is going to grow up to be like in the first place and there's quite a lot of evidence that even um, even our brains are designed to produce this special individual commitments. So, you know, we all think that our children are above average, our children are special. And that feeling of both for a parent and a child, that this child is just this amazing, special, unique creature that you're totally committed to, that's exactly the thing that enables children to take risks, to have adventures, to vary. The sense of you know, no matter what happens, no matter who I am, no no matter what I turn out to be like, there's somebody there who will have my back. That kind of stability and security seems to be just what we uh, need in childhood to be able to come out to be something completely different from any human that's ever been on the face of the planet before. Allison, you're a professor of psychology, and I know probably I'll have listeners saying, okay, that sounds all airy-fairy, the gardener, the carpenter, but I am just trying to get my kids through school, and maybe they will go on to post-secondary. I, I want to make sure they're involved in things. So is that wrong, or is it just making sure whatever I do with them, they feel my love? 
Yeah, I think obviously all of us want to pass on our values to our children, and it's important that we pass on our values to our children. Um, the capacity for culture is one of the most distinctive things about us as human beings. And, of course, all of us want our children to be happy and successful as adults. But the kind of paradoxical fact is that, as with other things that we do as human beings, sometimes not trying is a better way of bringing about an outcome than trying too hard. Um, and I think the everyday, daily uh, interactions between parents and children, especially very young children who I study, the preschoolers, preschoolers are just incredibly brilliant learning machines. Um, and they'll learn from you almost without your doing anything at all, just observing yeah. what the people around them are doing, imitating, um, paying attention, playing. All those everyday things are actually more powerful learning mechanisms for children, especially um, young children, than all of the self-conscious attempts to use flashcards or use uh, educational videos or do all the things that parents somehow feel is that they need to do in order to have their children succeed. And what happens even with older children is that the parents are so occupied with organized sports and with extra classes and extra tutoring that the kind of spontaneous exploration and play that we know is the thing that really helps children to thrive the most just kind of falls between the cracks. It's the thing that disappears. Then can I throw in technology? Mm -hmm. <laughs> because I think that's, that's the biggest change in family units over the last 10, 20 years that I think, you know, it has been the worst thing for families. I think that's a good example of the challenge that I'm talking about in the book because uh, exactly what each new generation is about is about innovation, about finding new ways of being in the world, dealing with a new world and a new environment. And when you're in the middle of a change from one um, technology to another or from one kind of environment to another, that makes the tension between generations particularly vivid and it's particularly frustrating and difficult for parents when their children are as i say they're sort of visitors from the incomprehensible future mm. but again i think we need to have a certain uh what what you need to be a parent and again this is there's something kind of paradoxical about this is to be able to say look i'm going to tell my children i'm going to pass on to my children this is my world this is my value these are books these are the things that i think are important knowing that their world, their values, the things that are natural to them are going to be really different from the things that are natural to us. So I think it's probably going to be true that the next generation of children is going to just take uh, technology, things like computers and screens, for granted in a way that someone of my generation is can't quite deal with and yeah. find disruptive and difficult. That's clearly going to be one of the fault lines between our generation and the next. But remember, that's always been true. That's been true as long as we've been around as human beings. So if you think about the difference between me and my grandfather or my great-grandfather, part of what happens is whatever it is that we're born to doesn't feel like technology. It just feels like stuff. Right. And the things that happen the day after our children are born all seem like 
crazy technological novelties out of a Mad Max dystopia. But you know, what, um, even when even Allison, when we think of technology, and I know, uh, you know, we had the radio, and then we had television, and uh, the phone. The kids will never get off the phone. But there's something different about the cell phone that has isolated us as family members because even when there was the TV, you could watch things as a family, or the kids could watch something that that you're still being together. I I just worry that families now with everyone on their own technology and I've been guilty of it too. I mean, every now and my kids are much older now, but we spent a week in um, Ontario at a cabin, but I still a couple of times went, Oh my gosh, there's three of us on phones. This is ridiculous. So uh, that's that's my concern with technology. The, the big difference, I think, the game changer is that everyone, they can be isolated as opposed to the way technology was in the past. Yeah, I think it's uh, what we're going to have to do is figure out how to adjust to this novelty. So that's true. But here's the other side. The other side is I was in Australia last month and my grandchildren, you know, my, my one-year-old and my three-year-old, uh, got on Skype, oh, and of course, yeah. you know one of the things that we know. Uh, in fact, I just uh, wrote a column about this in um, the Wall Street Journal. Is that uh, live Skype interactions babies can learn from in much the same way that they learn from a live person? Mm. So, on the one hand, there are aspects of our technology that are more isolating. On the other hand, there's aspects that are much more connecting. So, yeah, you're, uh, you're right. There's always a good and a bad. So, I think I can take away from this parenting, parenting, being a parent is pretty easy if you strip away all the expectations and just make sure that child feels loved and secure. Well, I think that's right. That The fact that the child feels loved and secured, that you care about them, that they care about you, that's really the bottom line. That's the thing that's, uh, that's most important. And also, and I want to emphasize this, that as a society, we provide enough uh, resources and security so that all children can feel that way. And we know that there are many, many children who are poor and isolated and many parents who are under incredible economic and social pressure um, so that, that that kind of security and stability isn't possible. And it's really important. You know, it's not like that just comes out of the air. We have to do things to make that possible. But given that that is possible, which I think it is for most middle class and upper middle class uh, parents, I think the problem is more feeling under pressure to do too much rather than uh, not having the resources to do uh, to do what you can. And I think if parents could just kind of kick back, uh, relax, assume that the children will find their way as the generations of previous children have found their way, and their way is going to be different from your way, but it'll be... It'll be the way that's the natural way for those children. I think it would just make life better for mm. parents and for children in the course of, of being parents and children. And after all, having children it, from a scientific perspective, those children are one of the most amazing things in the entire universe. The fact that they learn as much as they do, as spontaneously as they do, the fact that they recreate human culture in each generation. That's an amazing, remarkable thing to have happen. And Very I think, cool. Allison, I think it would be time. nice if parents could just watch that happen. Happen yeah, instead exactly. of trying to shape it. Oh, I know. Gosh, if I could go back, no, no ifs or buts. <laughs> Allison, thanks so much for your time. Okay, well, thank you very much for having me. Allison Gopnik, the book is called The Gardener and the Carpenter. And you know what? If uh, you text me 770-770, if you're interested in this book, it's a good read. I'll take the eighth text. Calgary Today with Angela Cocott, weekdays at 3 on News Talk 770 Calgary.